Welcome to Founders Campfire. I'm Tran, the host of this podcast and a senior at Stanford. Over my four years here, I've built many ventures, from a nonprofit to a social app. Most of these ventures have failed, but by reflecting on and sharing these failures, I've been able to grow and build deep connections. My hope with Founders Campfire is to bring together a community of current and future founders to reflect, share, and grow. Today on Founders Campfire, we have Shreya Holder. I met Shreya at a mutual friend's birthday party. A few months later, we bonded over our YC experience at the Chainsmoker concert. Shreya, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Of course. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, we can get the basics out of the way. <laughs> I studied computer science at Stanford. I did my undergrad on the graphics track and also minored in art. And I did my co-term slash master's in CS as well, focusing in AI. But yeah, most of my interests kind of lie in the intersection of them all. I love to be super creative, so I paint a lot, kind of do a lot of digital design. And that kind of overlays with all the technical stuff that I do. So I love building apps. I have done like software engineering and also like all sorts of things. I'm into travel, modeling, <laughs> food. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> Art and modeling and graphics and AI. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't pick one. I actually cannot pick one thing. Awesome. Well, let's jump into something that you built in the past. You were the co-founder of Club Cardinal which is a virtual Stanford campus used by thousands of Stanford students during the pandemic. Can you tell us a bit about that and how it got started? Yeah, definitely. It actually started right when the pandemic started in spring quarter. I was part of Women in Computer Science. They had this innovation mentorship program where they put together groups of uh, members to basically work on whatever they wanted to for the quarter. And there was a chance to win a grant at the end. And so I was like put into a group of students that had no idea. We, we didn't know each other before the program. And so we were brainstorming while we were all at home, what can we kind of do right now? And obviously the glaring problem at the time was while everybody was kind of sent home, there was no community and maybe doing something with locations or like obviously Stanford related things could be cool. I was thinking at the time that a lot of people were going back to Club Penguin mm -hmm. because I don't know, like we were all at home, wanted to feel some sort of nostalgia. And it was shut down, I think, around then. And so we kind of came together and we were like, okay, well, what if we made a Club Penguin, but for Stanford? And it was just a fun idea. And it was pretty easy to create all the graphics and stuff. And since we had a team of five, we all took on different roles and just fully fleshed this thing out in the span of the three months, I guess, in oh, that wow. quarter. And then uh, we ended up winning the grant, which is awesome. But I think because we had worked so hard on it and we realized that this is actually a really cool idea, people were excited about it. We continued to work on it for another month and then we launched it in August and we did this whole Instagram thing. And, you know, it was super exciting to use that summer. But that's how it kind of started out. I remember that. It was oh my, my gosh. It was my freshman year. It was such a pivotal no app. <laughs> That's actually, it's it's so heartwarming because we worked really, really hard on it. And it was kind of how things kind of ended up going coming out of the pandemic. Obviously, things changed. But I think for that summer, it was just really, really cool. And I'm glad that all the incoming students also had a great time getting to know new people and experiencing campus somehow, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it like when users started using it? Yeah, so we did this like whole launch campaign leading up to August 1st. So that was our launch date. And on that day, we said we were going to make it live, announce the name of the website and everything at like some certain time, maybe 12 p.m. or something. And at that time, everybody went on. 
And so we had, I don't know how many, maybe a thousand people or whatever, but just like so many like little like avatars walking around and people chatting with each other. And I think some people tried to even hack us. So we ended up getting so much activity that people were going to the back end. I mean, these are just Stanford folks, right? You can't (laughs) expect anything else. But yeah, so there was just like so much activity. And then I think we did a version two launch. We started adding in, you know, how can we get people to stay on the app for longer? adding in virtual locations for real life events. We hosted uh, a lot of professors and like coffee chats and stuff like that, that. like on the (laughs) platform and would, yeah, post about it on Instagram and stuff. So it was cool. Awesome. Well, from the building standpoint, how did you guys anticipate all these things, content moderation, building a server that would be able to handle thousands of students on there Mm -hmm. and balance all of that? Yeah, I will have to shout out my co-founder, Wenxin, she <laughs> handled most of the backend technology, so did a great job with that. We were using React Redux, so that was a really good system, I think, for managing all the state updates that were happening. So you would have people you know, walking around, obviously, and you need to update that for every other person that's in one location in real time. And then how do you account for the different dimensions and what their screen sizes are? And so I think all of these are design decisions that we had to you know, take into consideration when building it out. But it was a pretty straightforward tech stack. And I think that was a great experience for me to get really hands-on into building it. But yeah, no, definitely like had to think a lot about avatar movements and how to create like two-dimensional game experience without using another platform Unity, which is something that we did consider. But that was just too bulky, you know, to put onto a browser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that is most of the technical stuff. So you had a team of five students. Yeah. I think a lot of the listeners of this podcast are student founders mm-hmm. or hope to create an app or a game. How, do you, how did you manage that relationship where you all had schoolwork yeah. and you were remote too? Yes, we were. <laughs> it was tough. It was really tough. That spring quarter, I think this was before you came to uh, Stanford, but yeah. it was a completely pass-fail quarter and everybody just decided to load up on classes because there was really no penalty for not doing well. So might as well get the hard classes out of the way. But I mean, given that Stanford students are just hard workers, at the end of the day, you're still doing the work. And so I was taking 20 units and then I was working on this project. And then over the summer, I was also a research intern for Curis at a lab on campus. And I think I was fully focused on building this out. It was not too hard just because you're at home. So you can imagine when you're in person, you obviously spend a lot of time with other people. You're walking around. That is what takes up the middle chunks of your day. But instead of that, when you're at home, you're using that time to work on something maybe. So this is what I and my co-founders basically did. (laughs) But it was definitely really hard to balance the, the work with the startup and then also, you know, school classes, internships. We were also all doing internships that summer too. So yeah, it was definitely like the time of my life where I was juggling the most, I would say. I see. Yeah. And then once Cup Carnival was really popular, did Mm -hmm. you guys try to take it further, find funding for it? What was that like? Yeah, it actually escalated very quickly. And I'm sure a lot of people in kind of the consumer tech or just tech industry in general remember during the pandemic, investors were throwing money left and right towards every single random little product that comes out, which, you know, is cool. It's great for founders like me. But yeah, so it was kind of like that where we had released this app and because it had gotten so much traction from the Stanford community, investors started reaching out to us basically like that first week. 
And so we were kind of talking to them, you know, early talks, trying to balance that and fixing bugs, coming out with the second version of the platform, which would allow the events and stuff, the the calendar. And then after that, yeah, a, a lot of things happened that made us think about how can we scale this. One being a lot of other large universities started reaching out to us and they were from Harvard, Brown, Princeton, Berkeley. They were all like, hey, we want to build this. Can you A, make it open source or B, build it for us? And we were like, maybe not that, but this could be a good opportunity to sell it. And so we were trying to create a way to allow any university to make their own custom location. But then it would mean partnering with artists who live there just because everything is hand drawn. And also their school student engagement office or whatever, we were doing that with Stanford. The, the tricky part was that with Stanford, they are rightfully so pretty restrictive about, you know, what you can do with the Stanford name. And so when you create a company with that name, it actually is kind of impossible to be able to go monetize it and do all of that. So I think that's when all the changes started coming, just because we saw so much demand for a product like this. But it was just hard to work with uh, the restrictions that were in place. And so, yeah, we, we started to think about other options and how we can expand and, and all of that. Yeah. That's also one of the takeaways I had. I feel <laughs> like something us Stanford students don't look into is the IPs of yeah, building yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> you guys should look into that before yeah. you start building. Yeah, especially if you use university resources. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the, or the name at yeah. all, um, the colors. They're really <laughs> particular. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, something that I'd like to ask every guest is three takeaways you had from a past venture. Okay. So in this case, three, your top three takeaways from Club Carnal that you wish you would have known or you learned after working on the project. Mm, okay. Yes. So one is definitely your founding team is so, so important. I think I was really, really grateful to have such a large founding team where all five of us had equal stake in the company and we would meet regularly. We took on different roles and there was naturally a leadership sort of balance there where some people obviously led parts of the product, other people led parts of, you know, the business side or the tech stack solely, operations and all the legal matters. And so it it just kind of fell into place. But I do think it is a little hard when you have so many people to make big decisions for the company. And so I think my main takeaway would be to have a smaller group of really, really strong co-founders. And then obviously the founding team is just as important to, you know, uplift the company and help it grow. But there needs to be two or three people maybe driving decisions. And I say two or three because one is definitely like you, you as an individual may not know what's best for your company. Talking to two or three people is great, but then having the third person is I think a good mediator but yeah, so so I think that's definitely one big takeaway. The other takeaway is that talking to VCs is a whole thing in and of itself, and it can be very, very intimidating. So this is my first experience really in the venture capital world where I would actually have to make a pitch deck and come up with a business strategy. And me as a computer science student, I was, I'm just here to build and have a good time. And so I didn't really go in with all of that knowledge. And I think all of us were also computer science freshmen at the time, incoming sophomores. And so we didn't have that just like industry knowledge, definitely of the market. I think it was something that we were working on. While after we got all that traction, we were like, okay, let's start talking to Gather. Gather was a really big product back in the day. And all these other little virtual world things. 
to understand the market better, but still coming up with that monetization scheme, that's something that VCs really, really care about. And so before even putting together a pitch deck, if you're at the seed stage, then I think that's obviously key. But yeah, no, it was difficult to kind of learn that on the go. And then third takeaway would be that I will always, always work on something that gets me excited and something that I wake up and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do next? You know? And I think this is a really cool experience because I loved designing the product. I loved working on the visuals, how people are going to interact with it. These are things that I thought about every day because I was like, how would I interact with it? You know? And then I don't think I could work on something else, something that I just didn't care about or didn't have that interactive nature. And so I think one takeaway would just be to continue down that path because I just realized that I loved it so much. And that was the first time I realized that, I guess. Awesome. Those are amazing takeaways. Thank you for sharing them. (laughs) Of course. And it's also a good segue to the second part of our podcast, which is on what you're working on now. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That is a great segue. (laughs) Yeah. So I am currently working on another consumer app. This is a mobile app now, and it's in fashion tech. So the idea is to create a personalized digital mall that is catered for the user. You can browse, shop, search, discover, you know, across a myriad of brands all in one place. Follow your favorite brands, get updates from them, and just generally see personalized recommendations for you. And we want it to be, like, still very interactive, fun, and all of that. But yeah, so that's what I'm working on now. And how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. I think, again, with the takeaways, I'm trying to be a lot slower and more strategic with this venture than with Club Cardinal. And I think that's for the better. So it's kind of like moved pretty quickly. We started, so I have one co-founder that I'm working on with this. And we like started ideating over the summer, doing need finding and stuff. Started actually building our current MVP in October. And so this is the React Native app that we put out on the App Store. And I put it out in December, kind of late December. Didn't do too much marketing. We wanted to be really, really slow and deliberate. And then I pushed it out on TikTok first week of January just to see like, oh, what would happen? This is kind of what worked for me in the past. And yeah, so one of my videos went viral and all of these people started downloading the app. And then that's when we realized we did not have the infrastructure to support thousands of people coming onto this app. And so the whole thing crashed and, you know, which is good because, you know, helps us work on it. Um, So we can release it for millions of people down the line. But uh, yeah, so I ended up just like spending a couple of weeks patching up all those bugs. And I think now we realize, okay, well, we have found this product market fit. We know that there's this desire for something like this. So instead of kind of going all out and trying to acquire all of our users now, we want to be really careful about what they love about it. And so now we're in the stage of rapid prototyping, interviews, obviously, just redesigning things and choosing a singular value prop. Because I think the general idea of a digital mall sounds really cool, but it's, it's a pretty basic idea. So I think there are ways that we can make it very unique. A lot of aspects of it are AI powered right now. So I think even pushing that further could be interesting. And then we did just get some funding. So Amazing. that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> we are partnering with Afor. They have a founder in residence program that I encourage actually all uh, precede um, startup founders to go take a look at. But yeah, they're a fairly new firm that mainly invests in pre-seed. And yeah, so we're hoping to raise a seed in a few months. But yeah, we're, we're just kind of taking the MVP and creating the first version of our final product. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's so exciting in such a <laughs> short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, fast. definitely go download her app because oh my gosh. it's great. <laughs> it is on the App Store. <laughs> yes, I'd encourage everyone to do that. <laughs> yeah, and I guess a question that a lot of students have is, especially at Stanford, there are so many pre-seed funds. Mm-hmm. How do you know when to start applying, which mm-hmm. one to go with? Mm-hmm. How did you make that decision with your co-founder? Yeah, um, it, it is difficult. And I think right now it's a really difficult time too, um, just because post-pandemic, I think a lot of investors and firms are trying to be more careful with what they invest in. I'm personally not a fan of YC, but that is also because I am in consumer and they traditionally do not invest in that space. And, you know, I think you have to understand what space you're in. That's first step. If you are working on an enterprise or B2B SaaS thing, then, yeah, I think certain accelerators and funds like most of them actually do support those really, really well. But then you want if you want to go down the more risky route, you want to do social, you want to do like I think ARVR can be risky, definitely consumer. You have to basically find investors and firms that have historically invested in those spaces because nobody's going to invest in something brand new if it's just a pre-seed, you know. I think that a lot of firms are very well connected to Stanford. I know Pear is one of them. And I think these are great places to get started because at the end of the day, it's just a space for you to experiment. And as long as you are a hard enough worker mm-hmm. and you believe in what you're building, you believe in yourself, that idea is going to change. And so it could change to a completely different market, but you need to find people who believe in you. And so, yeah, it, it really just is people to people instead of startup to firm. Yeah, yeah I think having gone through it also myself, yeah. <laughs> which maybe is a little cliffhanger. You guys can come oh back goodness. next time <laughs> and listen. I think, yeah. yeah, a lot of people are like, I want to get into YC or mm-hmm. I want to get into Pair or one of these programs. Right. But I think it's also really important to think about the people that mm-hmm. you would be working with, specifically like the partner that's yeah. advocating for you and whether they have experience in this field that you're going into. Because, yeah. Right. In your case, it wouldn't exactly. make sense to have a partner who did like a B2B SaaS yeah. <laughs> company. Yeah, no, I mean, I, we did the YC interview and Michael, who's the head of YC, he was very, very picky about our idea. And I think I've heard similar things for other people working in consumers. So this kind yeah. of only applies to that. But our current partners at Afor, they are great. They have a lot of experience in e-commerce, more on the B2B side. So kind of our head investor is was one of the first employees at Shopify, which is great for us because we integrate a lot with Shopify and we want to do that kind of moving forward. And so, yeah, it's like you have to know who these people are, where are they coming from? What can they do for you mm-hmm. in the same way that what you're going to do for them? But it has to be a very symbiotic relationship. And it's kind of like dating. You don't <laughs> want to go and on like several dates with somebody that you know is just not going to work out yeah. with, you know? Yeah, it's dating, but with, with some papers, with papers and legal <laughs> stuff and millions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. all of your assets on the line. But, yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of relationships, you also have a co-founder. Yes. And one co-founder. I so only a have team one. of two mm-hmm. instead of previously the team of five. How is that dynamic different? How did you pick your co-founder? Yeah, that's a great question. Because this is, again, one of the main things that I encourage all founders to think about before they even start the company is, who is your co-founder? It's literally, who are you going to be married to for the rest of your life? (laughs) But I love my co-founders so much. We met, we actually met three, four years ago at some party in in 2021. And and I probably just said hi to her, but I actually do not recall this. You told me this recently. But then we kind of reconnected last summer. She kind of emailed me out of nowhere and was, hey, I just quit my job at Blackstone and I am thinking about starting my own company in personalized fashion or personalized shopping. I'm looking for a co-founder. Would you be interested? 
And I was just thinking about the same thing. Because over the summer, I was working at AWS, and I hated my job. It was the worst thing ever. Uh, and I was just I can't keep doing this. And I had this great idea that did really well. I just never kind of took it off the ground. So I was like, OK, let me go back to this personalized shopping or styling thing. And she literally emailed me just as I was thinking about that. And I was flying out to New York the day after. And I was like, oh, I saw you're in New York. Do you want to just grab a coffee? We could talk about it. And so we did. And then we met up again on that trip to brainstorm some ideas and then like I think we never officially were like oh we're co-founders now until obviously doing applications and stuff like that it just kind of became that as we just ideated more and more we would have virtual calls where we'd talk about some things and and then we'd be okay well let's make a form and send it out to our users or something and and get some survey results and go from there and then we're okay well let's apply to YC together and yeah so it, it basically was just a given And so we sync really, really well, I think. We communicate super well. I think it's because we're just very chill people. I know there's some people who make great leaders and great founders and everything, but if you can't communicate with them properly, then they're they're just not the right co-founder for you. But yeah, no, we communicate well. We set up daily meetings. We see each other in person. She comes down to campus. She lives in SF. And I drive up to SF. If I'm traveling, she accommodates for that. And if she's traveling, I accommodate for that. And we are we never shoot down each other's ideas it's more we'll be critical of each other if we need to be but we try to take apart what is good about something that one person says and then how can we implement that and she has a different background than me so i'm technical i come from a product design engineering background and she comes from the economics background which i think is pretty common like one co-founder is more of the econ finance gsb maybe (laughs) (laughs) that sort of side and then the other one is you know engineering But yeah, we're willing to learn. So I, for example, I feel like I don't have enough experience in the business realm and she has a ton. So while she's been taking care of a lot of the more fundraising forward things, monetization, and I do a lot of the product and engineering, we are all very aware of what the other person is doing and try to learn from that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess to dig deeper a little bit, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Stanford students have a lot of commitments. Yes. And you know, you can work on side projects with some people and it'll be cool, but then you have to take it to the next level, which is what you guys did. Mm-hmm. And at that time you had your AWS internship as mm-hmm. well. At which moment in time did you realize like, okay, I'm gonna go full time on this mm-hmm. and you know, not continue with AWS. Yeah. Or, you know, going like into other industry. Right. Um, I think it actually starts my junior year I made this one app and it was an avatar-based wardrobe styling app and I made it for myself. I didn't think I was going to do anything with it. And then I posted about it online and I was like, oh, well, I could easily just add, you know, a Firebase configuration to this and then people can create their own accounts. And it was very simple. And so I put that out and people loved it. I got over 180K downloads from that. Um, Yeah, but it was kind of tricky because you have to draw everything by hand. And so I had to think of ways to scale it. I actually went to pair with this idea and they gave me an offer and I turned it down at that time because I was in school. I had no idea how to monetize it. It was just me. And again, all these things are super important to think about. And I I think I was just not ready. And I could feel that in my gut. I was just, I can't do this right now. So I decided to finish school. I actually went and worked at Lucasfilm. So I explored another one of my interests, which is computer graphics. And then I realized that maybe wasn't for me. Went back to AWS to get some more software engineering experience, basically. And I thought I would like it, but then no, it was just, (laughs) I mean, I think it's a common experience for a lot of 
software engineers from Stanford or young software engineers when you're working on a very siloed or introverted team where you're mostly remote and no one's coming into the office. You're just kind of doing what you do and then clock out. And I just realized this is not the life I want to live. And I will never, ever, ever go back to that. But I do I do understand and respect people who have the ability to continuously solve problems and create really cool things within the company. But yeah, I think because I had this one idea and it had so much potential, I would be so sad if I never got to pursue it. It was just the perfect timing for me because I had finished my senior year. So this was an internship between that and my co-term. And so it was more just like, okay, well, now I have to think about what I want to do post-grad. And so I should start now in my final year that I have at Stanford, use up all the resources and then get it off the ground before I graduate. And that way, when I've graduated, I have, you know, sustainable income and this is going somewhere. Right. And I that I think that was that moment over the summer when I found Krithi, my co-founder, and I was like, this is happening. This can totally happen and I should do it. I should just put all of my energy into it because I know in my heart of hearts that it, it will be something good, you know? That's amazing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of lessons you can take away from what <laughs> Shreya just said. But I think a lot of students, they're like, I'm going to go all in on my first project. It's going to go amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I think her story shows that it doesn't have to be like that. It could be like you built something, you gain traction, you prove to yourself that you can do it. Mm-hmm. And then you can, you know, if you don't feel ready, like yeah. you said, your gut was telling you that yeah. you're not ready and then you can try again. Exactly. Um, I always say to listen to your gut. And I know that's a very general statement, but it's more just like, is this something that excites you? Are you scared? Do you feel like you have the right support? And so I think I was able to ask myself all those questions both times. And I think at one point it was no, even though I had an offer from Pear and I could have just been a solo founder and gotten a team together. At that point, I had enough technical experience to build something, but not enough entrepreneurial experience to create a company out of it just by myself. I think with a group of five, sure, but um, just by myself, it is very hard. So having one other person to kind of go through that journey with, I think was like, crucial. And if I didn't find Krithi, I was still at this point where I need to find a co-founder before I decided to do anything. Yeah. So that was that was actually a big factor. So awesome. So you're in your final graduation quarter. Here yes. Oh, my God. It's so sad. <laughs> and so, yeah, what's next? Well, yeah. So since we have some pre-seed funding for my project or not project, it's a startup <laughs> company. Yeah, my company. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I can say that now. It's crazy. Yeah, I am doing that full time and I want to be able to travel while I do that. But we're based here in SF, so I'll be kind of coming back and forth between wherever and the city. And yeah, I think this quarter just trying to work on it more. It's nice to not have distractions because doing it with classes is very hard. I do encourage people to take time off or drop out if you want to, if you really, really care about an idea, because it, it does make a difference the amount of stuff I've been able to get done without you know, classes or other commitments. But yeah, so, so I'm just excited to be full time on this. And I'm kind of taking it quarter by quarter, month by month, just because you kind of have to with these things. But yeah, at the end of the quarter, we want to raise a seed. And so hopefully that'll kick off my full time career. I think it'll be good timing. <laughs> but yeah, that's our plan. Awesome. Is there anything else that people in similar stages or want to get to where you are should think about? Okay. Well, yes, I guess I'm in an interesting stage where we're kind of between pre-seed and seed because we have kind of validated the idea and we are, are building out a final version of the product that's just not just an MVP. This is something that can be monetized and everything. But to get there to, to this point, I would say kind of what people traditionally tell you to do, which is 
definitely find a good problem to solve. And it does not have to be the problem that you end up solving at the end of the day, but it has to be a problem space, at least. So for us, we were like, shopping is hard. Everybody agrees. It's not necessarily fun unless you're going out and doing it in person. And a lot of people still don't enjoy that. And so, okay, how can we break this problem down to a granular level that we can actually implement features and, and technology and, and all this stuff to get behind? And yeah, so if you're able to find a problem space that you care about, that's also important. And, and you can speak to users about, like you have access to, then that's step one. And then step two, I guess, would be to just do it. I, it's so easy to say, but you have to just do it. And that means go talk to users, go stand outside wherever you feel you're going to find people who are interested in this and hand them flyers or ask them, like, do the freaking TikTok videos <laughs> where you're asking them questions on the street or something. It's just anything that you can do to get information about this. It has to be your own information. You can't just use things that you find on the Internet. And just get as many data points as you can. This is a very lean strategy, <laughs> but it's just something that I think works. And then, yeah, going from there, you have to build it. That's definitely step three. Just put pen to paper. If it's like literally pen to paper, that's a great first product. You know, the first version of DoorDash was literally a spreadsheet, right, where they were taking orders and manually sending that to people and seeing if people like that. That is kind of what inspired us to start. Like Krithi, my co-founder, she started by messaging people in Depop and being like, hey, if I made a personalized shopping service for you, would you use it? And they were like, yeah. She got like 200 to 300 people on board and she was texting them every week. And they just told her their, their styles and she would create a bundle of products and she'd send them to them what? and be like, hey, I found these for you this week. And people loved it. And so obviously that's very manual. That's what inspired us to do it kind of automated. But you have to validate it that way. So... Things that I live by, figure it the fuck out. And if it's not going to get done unless you do it. So that's like kind of my, these are my mottos. It's kind of helped me literally just go out and do it, put pen to paper, talk to people, build things and, and iterate from that. But you're not going to like get there if you don't do that, if you don't actually build something. It can be shitty. It can be bad, but you just have to start. Yeah. Yeah. And how can the listeners help you? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Download my app. It's yes. called You're a Me, A-M-I-E. It's on the App Store. It's also mainly for women right now, so to all the male <laughs> listeners, there will be a version out for you guys soon. But yeah, so I would check it out and leave a good review because our reviews got tanked once the app went down and all these thousands of people started downloading it. And I was like, damn. But yeah, no, I think if you want to support us on the journey too, we have an Instagram and TikTok, TikTok my own TikTok <laughs> page, Holder underscore. <laughs> and follow my Twitter too. I just want to, you know, connect with more people in the community who like are interested in building and, you know, hearing about what other people are doing. Best of luck to all aspiring founders. It is a very difficult journey and you'll be giving up a cushy life of, you know, whatever people do post-grad from Stanford. But I think it's worth it. And, and at the end of the day, please do something that you care about and that you're passionate about. There are so many things that are out there that you can do. You don't have to just kind of go the traditional route or whatever people tell you works best. So... That was inspiring. I, feel like <laughs> I, I went need in to circles. go off of this podcast and, and go, build, <laughs> yes. go build something. Build, I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shreya, for being our first guest on Founders Campfire. You can follow her socials and download Your Ami using the links in this episode's description.
and tune in again next week for another Campfire Story.